So, I really hate being told what to do. Um, I do not like when people say, this is what you need to do. You need to do it right now, and here's how it needs to be done. I also hate being told that I'm wrong. Uh, you probably do too. Doesn't it make you feel stupid or angry when somebody comes up to you and they're like, you don't do it that way. You're wrong. That's bad. That's wrong. Like, why don't you do it the right way? Um, back in Chattanooga, I moved out of my parents' house into my first apartment, and I got some friends, and they had just moved out as well, and they started going to the gym across the street from my apartment all the time. My family was not a gym family. We were a, like, barbecue and fried chicken family. You know, we, were, we ate the fatty foods. We didn't go to the gym. So I'd never been to a gym before, but my friends were going three or four times a week, and I thought, I'm going to get a gym membership. I'm going to go with them to the gym. And so I go in my first time, I get my membership, my friends aren't there yet, so I start looking at all these contraptions, and they all look like medieval torture devices, you know, with all these strange arms and gears and levers and pulleys. And I sit down at one, and I try to push this thing, and I can't move it at all. And I'm like, what is this? Maybe I'm using it wrong. And then I realize, oh, this is for legs, not for arms. So I lean back at this funny angle, and it's hurting my back, and I'm uncomfortable, and I push this thing with my legs. And um, I start pushing it, and really uncomfortable, really painful, but I'm like, it's a gym, it's supposed to be uncomfortable, it's supposed to be painful. And so I'm doing this, and it slips off, and the, uh, the weight thing comes down, and it pinches my leg against the metal, and it actually rips a hole in my calf, and I still have a scar on my calf to this day where it ripped my cap and I started bleeding all over this machine. So eventually I got the machine uh, cleaned up, I got my leg bandaged up, and the next day I meet my friends and I'm telling them this story and I'm like, it's dangerous in here. And they said, what machine were you using? And I showed them and I'm like, it's a leg machine. They go, Alex, that's a bicep machine. And so they go up to the weights and they change it to a lower weight and all of a sudden I can use it like I'm supposed to. And I had been laying back pushing with my legs on something that should have been used with my arms. And as a result, I got hurt. I can only imagine what other people in the gym were like, what is that idiot doing? But no one came up to me and told me, that's not what you're supposed to do. But my friends did. They said, listen, you don't know, that's not how it's supposed to be used. If they hadn't told me, I would have kept doing it that way and I would have kept hurting myself. But they told me that what I was doing was wrong so that I could have a proper gym experience, so that I could actually work out my muscles. Uh, they had more gym experience than I did, and so I listened to what they had to say. Our world does not like submitting to someone else's authority or listening to what someone else has to say when they say that we're wrong. Because submission is admitting that there is someone who has the authority to tell you that you're wrong, and we like being right, we don't like being wrong. It makes us feel powerful. It makes us feel like we're in control when we're right. But being wrong makes us feel powerless and out of control. See, submitting to spiritual authority in your life builds your spiritual muscles. It's a workout for your soul when you give a spiritual authority permission to say, hey, you're wrong, or hey, you need to grow in this area. A spiritual authority in our lives is a lot like having a trainer at the gym. Now, whenever we do any type of diet or any type of exercise, Darby brings up this guy, LeBron. Now, Darby worked at a company down in El Coretta, Georgia, and 
they had a trainer, a gym trainer, on staff for their employees, and his name was LeBron. And so afterwards, she would go down there, and LeBron would say, here's the workout you need to do. Here are the exercises you need to do. Here's the stretches you need to do. Here's the diet you need to have. And LeBron coached her in her physical health. A spiritual authority is going to coach you in your spiritual health. And so you could go to a gym and you could try to work out on your own, but having a coach, having a trainer pushes you to do more. And there's still years later, it's probably eight, nine years since Darby talked to LeBron, and we'll be out walking and she's like, oh, we need to keep up this much exercise for this amount of time because LeBron told me. And so because she had this trainer, she's still benefiting from it years later. And if we have a spiritual authority in our life, we can benefit through the rest of our life through what they teach us. Now, over the last five weeks, we've been looking at the spiritual disciplines, the practices of Jesus, that if we follow those, it'll build our spiritual muscles so we can live and love like Jesus on an everyday basis. And we talked about solitude and silence and serving and self-denial, Sabbath and simplicity. But today, we're talking about the spiritual discipline of submission to spiritual the Christian life is a life of submission. You cannot live and love like Jesus did without submitting to spiritual authority. Jesus submitted to spiritual authority even though he was God. Now, we might think about that for a minute. Who is God going to submit to? Like, who's the spiritual authority for God? Who could Jesus even submit to? Who has seen more or knows more than he did? Jesus submitted to the only spiritual authority he could, another member of the Godhead. God the Son submitted to God the Father. Why did he do that? I mean, aren't they in unity? Were they not in unity? No, he was, ex he was exemplifying for us the importance of submitting to a spiritual authority. And in John 6, verses 35 through 40, we see where Jesus in Actually, many places he talks about this, but this place in particular we're going to hone in on today. Jesus says in verse 35, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. I love that. If you don't know Jesus, he will never drive away someone coming towards Jesus. For I have come from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but I shall raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And this isn't the only place where it talks about Jesus' submission to God the Father. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very appearance of a servant and being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so it says that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father and followed his plan and obeyed him even though it led to his death. If Jesus submitted to God the Father, how much more should we submit to God the Father? 
It says Jesus was equal with God in every way, and yet he chose to not use that to his own advantage, but became humble and submitted to the will of the Father. Submitting to God the Father is saying God has the right to tell me what to do and what not to do. Submitting to God is realizing that no matter what I sacrifice for God, what I give up, how much time or money or energy, how many dreams are sacrificed, he has always sacrificed more than I ever will. God has always sacrificed more for me than I will ever sacrifice for him. Our normal human tendency is to wake up in the morning as ruler of our own lives. Submission is stepping off of the throne and giving full control of your day to Jesus Christ. It's saying, God, I give you permission to interfere with the plans that I have for my day. I give you permission to interfere with the dreams that I have for my day. God, you get to command me. I don't command you. Sometimes our prayers turn into us commanding God to do God, you get to correct me. I don't correct you. How often I look at what God has done or what God hasn't done, and I say, God, what are you doing? This is wrong. You should be stepping up. You should be doing more. Where are you? Submission says, God, you get to change me. I don't change you. And I think a lot of times we think, if I could change God, if I could twist his arm, if I could make him do what needs to be done, the world would be a better place. We show whether or not we've submitted to the spiritual authority of God when we obey or when we disobey him. It's very easy to sit around and be like, I've submitted to the spiritual authority of God. But it actually is reflected in how I live, whether or not I obey if we have submitted to his authority, we will do what he says. For as Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. Jesus submitted to the spiritual authority of God the Father as an example to us that we must also submit to spiritual authorities. But unlike Jesus, we also need to submit to human spiritual authority. Now, I'm going to um, tease this out a little bit because there's some elements here we have to talk about. Not all human authority is spiritual, and not all spiritual authority must you submit to. But there must be some human spiritual authority that I give permission to, to tell me where I am wrong and where I need to grow. You will not spiritually develop if you do not have some spiritual authority that you've given permission to speak into your life and to challenge you. You'll be spiritually weak if there is not someone who can tell you when you are spiritually wrong. Now you might say, Alex, of course you think that. You're a pastor, so you're a spiritual authority, so of course you're going to say that. It's like when pastors talk about giving to the church, they're getting paid by the church. Of course they want that, right? And so, Alex, you're a spiritual authority, so of course you're going to say we should respect and have a spiritual authority because you're one. just want to be a spiritual authority in my life and control me. Um, if there's a spiritual authority in your life who wants to control you, I would suggest that they not be your spiritual authority. I think there's lots of examples of bad people abusing spiritual authority. A spiritual authority in your life should be motivated by love to help you. If you don't feel like I'm motivated by love to help you grow and to help you become as much like Jesus as you can, then don't have me be a spiritual authority in your life. 
And if there's someone else who wants to be a spiritual authority in your life, but they're not motivated by love for you to become as much like Jesus as you can be, if they're more about hurting you than helping you, I would suggest don't make them a spiritual authority. I'm going to share some examples of where I've seen people misuse spiritual authority in my own life. Um, there was a pastor when I was a younger man, and uh, he got up one Sunday and he pulled a passage from the Old Testament where there was an Old Testament king, and he had been anointed king with oil, and um, some people came against them, and they were wiped out. And he used that passage and said, I'm God's anointed for this church, and if you talk bad about me behind my back, God's going to wipe you out just like he did these people. And so he said, you better get in line and say yes to whatever I say and do whatever I suggest, because otherwise... God might kill you, might give you cancer, might take away your job, might just crush you. And I sat there and I was like, I disagree with a lot of what this guy has said, you know. And there were some tension points between us in the church. And I thought, man, if he's right, God's going to kill me, you know. But he was manipulating the scriptures to try to force us to get in line with what he wanted. Uh, there was a pastor when I was growing up uh, of a church in Nashville and he got up and uh, he said, as a pastor, I'm the ultimate authority in all of your life. And he said, if you're a single woman and you don't have a husband to lead you in the home, I'm your leader in the home. And I get to tell you what to do. And I was like, this is so unhealthy. This is like cult leadership unhealthy. You know, this is so bad. And I remember there was one lady there in her 30s and he was like, I want to know who you're dating and I want to give approval. And she's like, whoa, whoa, you're overstepping what it means to be a spiritual authority. He was, he was a control freak and he saw spiritual authority as a way to get in and control everybody's lives. Bad leadership will never let you ask questions. Good leadership always allows you to ask questions. If you have a spiritual authority and you never get to question what they say or what they're challenging you to do, they're not a good spiritual authority. Bad leadership expects you to respect the position they have, not the relationship you have with them. Good leadership will always lead with the relationship. They won't lead with the position. Don't allow bad spiritual authority in the world to keep you from having a good spiritual authority in your life. You need healthy spiritual authorities in your life to spiritually grow. You will remain spiritually stunted if you don't put yourself in a place where a spiritual authority can tell you that you're wrong and challenge you in the places you need to grow. Now, here's some of the ways that the New Testament describes healthy spiritual authority. In Hebrews 13, 17, it says, have confidence in your leaders. It's talking about inside this new idea of the church. And submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. I, I have a responsibility for you guys that at some point, Jesus and I are going to look face to face to each other. And he's going to say, how did you help these people live and love like I do? I'm going to have to stand in front of Jesus and tell him about my efforts, my eagerness, and my passion to help you live and love like Jesus. That's something that I take uh, with a lot of seriousness. That's something that I think about. That's something that deeply makes me um, really ponder on how I build relationships and how I push and encourage you to step towards Christ. He continues in that passage, do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden 
because that would be of no benefit to you. If I don't find joy in being a spiritual authority, then guess what? That relationship's not going to do any good. And if you don't find joy in me being a spiritual authority, that relationship's not going to do any good. In 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3, Peter encourages um, leaders to be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not because you pursue dishonest gain, but you're eager to serve other people, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul continues that same idea of being an example. A spiritual authority must essentially exemplify a livable Christianity. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. A spiritual authority isn't somebody who has it all figured out, who has infinite knowledge. There's somebody who says, you know what, I'm trying to live a livable Christianity, and I'm going to try to live it out in a way that you say, oh, I could live that. I could do that. If this is what it looks like to live in love like Jesus, I can pull some of those pieces into my life. In James 5.16, he tells us to confess our sins to each other and to pray for each other so that you may be healed. We need to have people who we can come to and say, look, I messed up. Here's where I need to grow. Here's where I failed again and again and again. Not so that someone can say, man, you're a garbage person. But so someone can come alongside us and say, I'm going to help you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to help lead you as we grow together. And finally, Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5, he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the passage of the Bible that most people know where it talks about, judge not, lest you be judged by the same standard, right? We often go to this to say, like, don't be telling me that I'm wrong. And, you know, you probably even used this with a spiritual authority before who, before who said, this is an issue in your life. But what Jesus is saying is, spiritual authorities, you better clean out your own eyes first so that you can correctly clean out somebody else's. See, a lot of times when we go to somebody else to help them spiritually grow, we come with a wrong motivation. We come with resentment or jealousy or bitterness or insecurities. And if we do that, we're not going to actually help them grow. We're going to actually hurt them from growing. And that happens all the time with bad spiritual authorities. They don't deal with their own stuff, and so they can't help anyone else grow. In my life, I've had many different spiritual authorities help me. Currently, I have three guys who are spiritual authorities in my life. Because, you see, everyone who's even a spiritual authority has to have spiritual authorities in their life. Um, Sam Spadafore I talk to him a few times a month, and he asks me questions about how I'm living, how I'm thinking. I always ask him this. I'm like, is there anything you see in my life that doesn't reflect Jesus or that we should talk about? Do you see anything that I'm saying or anything I'm doing that would dishonor my father? David Pearson, he's a spiritual authority in my life. He has permission to say, hey, I see this in you or you're talking this way. Don't have this behavior because it's not reflective. He has permission to tell me when I'm wrong and where I need to grow. Um, another man, another pastor, Randy Ferguson, um, sometimes he just reminds me, he's like, hey, have you stopped and rested? Have you taken time to rest? 
have you forgotten God in the midst of working for God? And he asked me hard questions that challenge me. Do I always like to hear these things? No. Do I need to hear these things? Yes. Even Justin, as a future elder and leader in our church, there's sometimes where we sit down and we just enjoy hanging out, but there's sometimes where we sit down and he says, how's your marriage going? How are you treating Darby? Are you taking time with her? He asked me hard questions that I need to be asked so I can continue to grow, so I can live and love more like Jesus. I need people who shepherd my soul even as I try to shepherd other people's souls. These men have permission to speak into my life and to challenge me when I say or do or think things that are wrong. They tell me not just what I want to hear, but what I need to hear. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't ask questions. It doesn't mean that I don't wrestle with what they say. It means I don't get offended when they push me because there are people in our lives who we need who push us spiritually to grow. We need to give people that permission. Um, I wanted to share a story about David. One time I sat down with him and uh, I was just talking about all these insecurities that I had and I was like, I'm not good enough to start the church. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm insecure. You know, all this garbage. And he said, Alex, stop. He says, what you're saying is that you don't think God is strong enough. It's not about you. It's about him. And he said to me, he said, if God has called you, it doesn't matter how strong or how weak you are. It only matters how strong or weak he is. Now, he pretty much told me, uh, that's a nicer version. You know, he was pretty much like, shut up, you're talking garbage. Here's how it is. Um, but I needed that. I needed someone who said that to me. And there's times even now where I feel insecurities in my own abilities or my own talents and my own leadership. And you know what I go back to? Where a spiritual authority challenged me and said, stop. You're acting like a fool. You're trying to push a bicep machine with your legs. Listen, you're doing it wrong. Here's truth. One of the most hilarious things I have heard since I moved up to Philadelphia four years ago and started a church is this line. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. I'm a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. Now, they usually follow this up by saying, I listen to sermons on podcasts or on television. Uh, one non-church-going lady in the community I met, she proudly told me, I watch five preachers on TV every Sunday. And she was really proud about this, the fact that she didn't go to church, but she watched five preachers. Like, that was better than going to church. And what all these people have in common is they've decided that Christianity is about information, not about relationships. That's a misunderstanding about the, the prime directive of Christianity. You can get information about the, about the Bible, about God, without going to church. But the word Christian means like Christ. That's what Christian means, like Christ. You live and love like Christ. Christ submitted himself to authority in community. That's what the Trinity is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They submit to each other in this community, in this relationship. You cannot say you are like him if you do not submit to authority in community. You cannot say you are Christian like Christ if you do not do what he did. 
Do you know why it's easier to listen to a sermon on a podcast or on TV rather than belonging to a church? There is no accountability when you do that. There is no authority who is able to look into your life and say, hey, we just spoke this sermon, we just shared this sermon, and now, you know what, this applies to your life. There's no one to challenge you to change. No one to question whether you implemented what you heard. You simply take the information and you say, wow, I know more now. And you never have to do anything. People who refuse to go to church do so because we hate giving someone permission to tell us that we are wrong. But without a spiritual authority in our lives, without authority in community, our lives will always be spiritually weak. Now, each week we've talked about how the spiritual disciplines must be committed to as individuals, but they're enjoyed in so let's talk about in our everyday week, how, how do we put this, how do we implement submission to spiritual authority? I think every day, just starting out in a simple way, God, you're God today, not me. You have everything in control today. I don't have to have it all in control because you do. Everything doesn't have to go as I want today because you're in charge it's reminding myself that I give him permission to intervene in my schedules, plans, and dreams. And it also means being intentional about obeying him. Because obedience is how we show that we've submitted to what he wants and not what we want. How do we submit to human spiritual authorities? Do you have someone that you have given permission to, to say what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear? given permission to someone to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. Now, there's sometimes where people come up to me, and uh, they'll tell me things, and they're like, I think you're an arrogant jerk. And one thing I try to always do is, okay, is this true? Like, this person, I haven't given them spiritual or permission to be a spiritual authority in my life, but they still might be telling me something I need to hear. Instead of constantly being offended, be open to the fact that someone might be telling you something that you need to hear. If it's you pray about it, you really think about it, you ponder it, and you might say, you know what, I don't think that applies. I don't think that's real. But we need to have people that we've identified that we can go to. Sometimes when people tell me, Alex, I think you're an arrogant jerk, I go to some of these people who are spiritual authorities in my life, and I say, this is what some people are saying. Can you help me look for these patterns and behaviors in my life and see if this is true? Have someone you can confess to. In the New Testament, it talks about confessing our sins one to another. Not so that we can be like, oh man, you're a garbage person. I'm so much better because you did that, I'd never do that. Well, you have your own stuff you do that the other person would never do. We confess so that we can cooperate together on learning how to live and love like Jesus together. None of us are perfect. All of us are messy. All of us need each other to come around each other and support each other and to challenge each other to grow and try and maybe you're at a point right now in your life where you think, you know what, I've tried to do it all, and I just keep failing. Life without Jesus is an impossible life. But with Jesus, we can live and love like he did, and it will transform our lives and our communities, our workplaces, our marriages, our homes, and our world. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. 
Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I will turn no one away. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how you submitted to the will of God the Father to come into this world and die in our place and rescue us from sin and death and hell. Thank you that you created a way for us to live and love like you. God, we're grateful that we can know you, that we can worship you, and that we can live life your way. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone listening, whether here or online who doesn't know you, that they'll cry out to you because you won't turn them away. And God, I pray that you will help us to submit to spiritual authority, to humble ourselves, to submit to those people who truly love us, who don't just want to control us, but truly want to see us grow and live and love more like you. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.